Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you for that grand entrance. If you was here at karaoke, you saw that I didn't get same kind of treatment. <laughs> and I didn't even like choose karaoke. I got volunteered for that. And then berated, berated, berated. Good morning. Spotlight is on me and not my Bible. <laughs> I can't. I can't. <laughs> yeah, and wait till you hear the title of what we're talking about. Then it'll all make sense. Just trying to see if I can make heads or tails of this so we can see. Good morning. Good morning. If you're joining us from home, uh, let's go ahead and open up with a word of prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for waking us up this morning, for keeping us in our right minds, God. Thank you for um, an opportunity to come and lay our lives down. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to hear your word. I thank you for the opportunity to share your word. I pray that our hearts would be open and receptive to whatever you have for us this morning, Lord God. If it's encouragement, we receive it. If it's correction, help us to posture our hearts in a way that we can receive that as well and be encouraged and not feel beat down, God, by your word, Lord. Thank you for the way that you love us. Thank you for the way that you gently guide us towards the truth of your son, Jesus Christ. I pray now through the power of the Holy Spirit that you would anoint me to share your word properly uh, with your people. God, we love you. We love you so much, and we're so grateful to be able to be here together and hear your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Um, I don't know if you've ever had a moment where you're like, I got to share this topic, and you kind of feel like you're just, you know, there's some sermons where Pastor Kevin's like, hey, I want you to preach this. I'm like, yes, I'm, I got that. And then there's some where you're like, whew. Okay, all right, here we go. Like when you got to do the self-control one or when Pastor Allen had to do the, the one on patience, he knows what I'm going through there. You know, but as I was praying through this, um, I felt like the Lord said, well, which one of you guys is going to be worthy of this? Who's really going to be worthy to bring the word, right? In your own strength. I'm the only one that makes you worthy to share this. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at a passage out of John uh, chapter 3. Um, John the Baptist has made a statement. This statement is one of the most imitable statements ever made. And we're going to look at how John got to this place in his spirit and how we can get to the same spot in our lives. So do we have our Bible verses? I got nothing less than about three chapters um, of Bible verses that I'm going to read to you, and you're going to stand and read with me. So if you're able to stand, you just sit right there. If you're able to stand, stand with me. We're going to read the word. I love having Mary Sue right here. I'm usually not this close to you, okay? So I can't really hear your chatter, so I'm excited that we're right here this morning because I'll feed off of it, okay? Are we ready? After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized. For John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. 
You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it brings life. I pray that it would reach this morning. We love you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen and amen. You can be seated. So this is what I'm talking about. He must increase so that I may decrease. But also, I must decrease so that he can increase. Okay? So I want us to look at an expanded view of this passage. Okay? This narrative comes on the heels of one of the most foundational conversations to the Christian faith. Okay, um, You guys know that I love to teach the Bible. I love to teach out of it. We've got to teach contextually. So we're reading before and after for context so that we can see the big picture. Okay, So this comes on the heels of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. But before that, um, Jesus' first miracle that's recorded happens. And why this is important is because Jesus has gone from growing up and not telling anyone that he is the Christ. He's not revealed his nature to anyone, and he performs this miracle at a wedding in front of people, right? Everybody remember the, the, the miracle at the wedding at Cana? What did he do? What did he do? He turned water into wine. Amazing. And the beautiful thing about turning water into wine, do you know how long it takes wine to ferment? Years and years. Yeah? A minimum of 60 days, Right? But the longer it ferments, the better it becomes. And Jesus took water and instantly gave the water a past it never had. Are you hearing me? He gave the water a past that it never had. And he revealed his nature to people in front of people. Okay? Then he has this conversation, this midnight conversation on a rooftop with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. And he was interested in what Jesus was doing, but he also knew if he was to have this conversation in the middle of the day, it would probably go bad. So he has this midnight conversation with Jesus in chapter 3 prior to this situation um, with John the Baptist. Because the verse, the passage starts off that we just read, it says, after this. After this. After what? After this conversation he had with Nicodemus. So in John chapter 3, chapter 3 begins with Jesus and Nicodemus having this midnight conversation. So I'm going to read chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Do we have that? Can we put that? Oh, here it is. There we go. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs you do unless God is with him. What signs? He just performed this miracle at Cana, okay? And so now Nicodemus knows, hey, I know you've come from God. Nobody can do this unless they come from God. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus tells Nicodemus that you must be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. He didn't say you must be born again to go to heaven. This is not what Jesus told Nicodemus. He said, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. 
So what's the kingdom of God here? There are many facets to the kingdom, but one thing we know for sure about the kingdom is found in Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, verse 17 says, golly, it's so dark up here. <laughs> turn around. You want me to turn my back to the people? Just get, uh, if I can get that spotlight, there it is. Here we go. For the kingdom of God. Oh, turn around. That's a, uh. You know what? That'll preach, right? That'll preach. That will preach. For the kingdom. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is telling Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you won't see this. You will not see this in your life unless you're born again. Okay? Where have we heard these things? Righteousness, peace, and joy. I don't know. Maybe for the last six, eight weeks. Right? Have we heard this? Right? In our series of Set Free, let me go ahead and remind you, Galatians 5, I've got it marked here, but they've probably got it on the, no, I'm going to read it. <laughs> but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these two are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So, so Paul tells us, if you practice these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And we've just learned that one facet of the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy. When you live out of your flesh, there is no right standing you have no leg to stand on because you're not operating under the Spirit. When you gratify the desires of the flesh, there is no peace. You can't tell me you knowing what you know can go out there and live any way you want to and lay your head down at night and sleep in peace. Tell me you can do it. I would be so miserable if I ever went back. There's no way. The Holy Spirit would be so dadgum loud in my head. <laughs> There, I couldn't go sit up. I could, at, at 12 o'clock, I couldn't go sit up at that bar at Rodizio. He'd be like, what are you doing? <laughs> there's, there would be no peace in my life. And if there's no peace, there is no joy. These two are, 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 are intimately connected, peace and joy. And righteousness 
It's not of our own. It is right standing with God only through the blood of Jesus. Do I have that right standing? And Jesus says, if you're not born again, you can't even see this stuff. This is what he tells Nicodemus. If you're not born again, you can't see it. So then Jesus continues his conversation with Nicodemus. Okay? Chapter 3, he tells him, unless you can't see it. Now, Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Do you notice the difference in what he says? The first time he tells Nicodemus, if you're not born again, you can't, you can't see it. And if you're not born again, you can't enter it. The first is an awareness. The second is an experience. Without the spirit of God, without being born again, you can't even recognize it, much less experience all that it has to offer. Without the Spirit, neither is possible. This is why we often get frustrated with people. You ever get frustrated with somebody? Why don't you get it? I've been frustrated all weekend with my kids. I got six of them. (laughs) And it's kind of like, it's kind of like trying to fill the bathtub up with the drain open, right? It's just, you know what you're pouring in, but you feel like it's just running all out of the bottom, right? And then you get these little nuggets, you get these little moments, and you're like, okay, God, all right, I see what you're doing. I was reminded of one of these such moments this morning, okay? Me and my wife had a bet of how many kids would have a meltdown during bingo, okay? It was a friendly bet. There was no money on the line, okay, before you start judging somebody. Um, I saw it in your eyes, like, oh, the pastor's up there betting, right? What are you betting, right? We're just, it was an over-under, right? How many meltdowns would happen? of the six during bingo, right? I said at least two meltdowns. Jess took three. She took the over, okay? There were a total of five meltdowns. <laughs> One kid had three meltdowns. So before the other two, it got involved in the meltdowns, right? Um, so, I mean, it was bad. Crying got to the point where he couldn't breathe because he was worked himself up just... <laughs> and I'm like, well, calm down, son. Calm down, right? He's working, he got himself worked up. Anybody ever worked themselves up? Nothing's really happening to you, but you have worked yourself into a tizzy over nothing you even had control of. Do you understand there is no skill involved in bingo? (laughs) You have no, you did nothing. All the cards have random generated numbers, and April's over here. The balls ain't loaded, right? She's just me. Whatever comes out is what comes out. Are you, are you hearing me now? Are you hearing me now? There are so many things that are outside of our control that we are getting so upset about and working ourselves up when we had nothing to do with it. You had no control over what happens. Your circumstances are like that. Okay? Your perspective has everything to do with how you respond to your circumstances. Because they're liable to change in an instant. So my kid's working himself up. Right? It was, I was just, I was at my wit's end. Then this morning, two days later, he tells me, he said, hey, dad, um, I wasn't having a panic attack the other night during bingo. I was having a heart attack. No. <laughs> I, said, I, I ain't 
ain't been, I have not been awake five minutes when this conversation happened this morning. I have not been awake five minutes. Dad, 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 dad. I, look, I just want you to know, I was not having a panic attack. I was having a heart attack. I said, I said, son, I said, son, you was not having a heart attack. He said, well, when kids have heart attacks, it's a kid attack. I had a kid attack. So, <laughs> you know, and I doubled over on the bed laughing. And I thought to myself, these are the moments, God. These are those little nuggets that you give us, right? A little window into what it's like dealing with me on a daily basis, right? I have a meltdown in my life, and God's like, get yourself together, right? And then three days later, I'm like, God, I didn't have a panic attack. I had a heart attack. And he's like, you are so dumb. What is happening with you right now, right? Right, buddy? But we get frustrated with people sometimes, and we're like, why won't you get it, right? Step back and think for a second, man. Maybe God has not been revealed in their life. The word says that no man can come to God unless he draws him to himself, man. Let us have patience with other people, especially in our dealings. And God is teaching me that through five-year-olds, six-year-olds, Eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds, and 12-year-olds. So Jesus continues in his chat. He's having this chat with Nicodemus. He continues, and we're given a clear picture of who Jesus really is and the reason he's come. We're also given a clear picture of the Father's heart. In this conversation, he goes down to verse 16. He says, he tells Nicodemus, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus has just revealed to Nicodemus that he is, in fact, the Son of God. And that his lordship is preeminent above everything. Understanding the lordship of Jesus allows us to surrender our lives to his leading. I'm going to say that one more time. Understanding the lordship of Jesus allows us to surrender our lives to him. At eventually, every knee will bow. There is no, that lordship is not only deserved, it is demanded. The lordship of Jesus is demanded. And the reason otherwise, because the word says every knee will bow. Above, on, and below. Why wait to be mandated when I have an opportunity to bow now? I have a chance to surrender my life to the Lord. And he gives me that option. James and Jansen don't answer this. Because I, you know, I gave him a little cheat sheet. As you're working through messages, right, you're like, oh, that's cool. I'm going to share that. The New Testament mentions Jesus as Savior how many times? Let me just take a guess. How many times do you think the New Testament mentions Jesus as Savior? Anybody? No guesses. 300. Anybody else? 64. 24 times. The New Testament mentions Jesus as Savior 24 times. Now, the New Testament mentions Jesus as Lord how many times? How many times? 64. Sorry, that's close. 200. Anybody else? 747 times. You think God's trying to make a point? Holy Spirit, 
inspired men to write the word, and he refers to Jesus Christ as Savior 24 times. He refers to him as Lord 747 times. The Holy Spirit is trying to see that, that the lordship of Jesus in our lives allows us to surrender to him. But what prevents this from happening most of the time? What prevents us from surrendering our lives to Jesus? Pride. Nine times out of ten, it's pride. The other one time, it's ignorance. I don't, I don't, I don't know. We just talked about it right now. I didn't know I was supposed to do that, right? I've played that card for too many years, and now I get looks from Kevin and Barbie like, oh, you knew. You knew. Don't, don't give me that. You've been here way too long, okay? I didn't know I couldn't say that. You knew. The moment you got here, you couldn't say that. I just, I just put a star on those emails and put them in a file. Put them in a file. It's going into, it's going into memoirs, Will, okay? The thing about pride is pride is a heart posture. Pride is a heart posture, and, and, and it's so insidious because you can't see it. I can't see if Will's being prideful. I can see its effects. I can see it, I can see it uh, demonstrated, but I can't see if, if Will has a, a prideful heart posture unless it's demonstrated. Pride often leads to destruction and prevents us from submitting to God's purpose for our lives. There are 153 Bible verses about pride, and almost every one of them speak of it in a negative context. 153 Bible verses about pride. It's mentioned as something that God hates, not dislikes, or get on his nerves. It's not like God's like, man, you irritate me being like that. It says God hates this. God hates a proud look. Hates it. Hates it. Proverbs 6, verse 16 tells us that. There's a writer and a columnist named Pedro Chung, and he identifies six types of pride that are mentioned in Scripture and that are prevalent in our lives. The first that he mentions is self-exaltation. Self-exaltation. So pride that gives credit to yourself James chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Everything comes from above. Everything. Everything. And pride gives credit to itself. Matthew 23, verse 12, also says, I'm so close. I put paper clips in my Bible. <laughs> On the pages. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus put it another way when he revealed that he was the chief cornerstone. It says, whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but whoever this stone falls on will be crushed. We just talked about brokenness being the key. We just talked about brokenness being the key. And Jesus says, if you'll fall on me, you will be broken. So that I can put you together the way that I need you to be. But if I have to fall on you, if you keep, if you keep puffing yourself up and I have to fall on you, it's going to crush you. It's going to crush you. Why wait to submit? 
The second type of pride is self-promotion, the pride that welcomes credit from others, welcomes credit from others. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. There it is. I knew, I knew it was coming. They're probably laughing at home like this guy. He don't get it yet. He don't get it. You know what? Some of us take a little bit longer to get the lessons. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. This is not saying that nobody can know that you've given to somebody. It says check your heart as to why you're doing it. Check your heart, you know. Self-promotion, you're welcoming the credit from others. You're doing things in order to get the praises from the people. And there are people that are further along in their walk than others, and there are people that are just starting out. But pride is one thing that it doesn't matter if you've been walking with the Lord for 55 years. It can creep into your life if you're not paying attention. Self-justification, the need to defend yourself. This is an area of pride. One of the wisest things someone has ever told me is rights will defend itself. Right will defend itself. If you're right, you don't have to keep defending yourself because eventually it'll come out. It doesn't matter what somebody slanders you or what they say, the truth always finds a way to come out. You don't have to defend yourself. And guess what? If you're in the wrong, you don't have a defense anyway. And most of the time when we go to try to defend ourselves, it's because we know somewhere along that we're probably wrong about it and we're trying to talk you into believing why we're right about it. My kids try to do that with me all the time. I was talking to my other son. I'm telling you, he's teaching me stuff through these kids. And I was like, son, you, you got to make sure that, you're, that, you're, that you dry your body off. Your clothes are all sticking to you and you're getting way too dirty. You're running through lots of underwear and clothes. He's like, dad, I got a sticky body. I'm like, <laughs> like this kid's going to be an attorney. Somehow I can see it now. Dad, I've got a sticky body. Of course my clothes stick to me. That's why. And, and it sounds ridiculous, right? But how many times do we come up with lame excuses to defend ourselves from something? Instead of being like, you know what? You're right. You know? Justin, you're being way too loud. Well, I, I'm loud, but it's 2 o'clock. It's not quiet time right now. All right? That's a real conversation that was had about 10 hours ago. Okay? <laughs> right? But it wasn't 2 o'clock in the morning. It's 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Right? <laughs> But the point is, why do we feel the need to defend ourselves? Pride. Pride is the reason why we feel the need to defend ourselves. Now, I'm going to give you three other areas of pride that that are not overtly arrogant, but are still forms of pride, so that we can be aware of how the enemy will use this against us. Number four, self-degradation. In other words, false humility. There are times where we will put ourselves down in the context of other people because we are fishing for affirmation. I'm not talking about just saying, man, I'm struggling with this. I'm not talking about sharing your burdens. I'm talking about talking about yourself in a way that recruits compliments and affirmations from other people. 
in order to feed your ego. False humility is a form of pride. Number five, self-demotion, otherwise known as the comparison trap. Because it is a trap. It is a trap. I have a painting in my, in my shop. It's hanging up on the wall, and it's made of six panels. Six panels that all form the face of Jesus. And each painting has a different section of the face. And it was done at a skit for a Renewed Life Ministries banquet in 2017. And each student was given a canvas to paint. Just like each one of us are given a canvas to paint. And all of the students, some of them was oriented, I don't know if this is, is this portrait? This portrait in this landscape? It doesn't matter. Some were straight up and some were sideways. There you go. Okay, some were sideways, some was up and down. Uh, And they all had a bucket of paint and a paintbrush and they began painting. And when they started out on their journey, they were painting and they were doing what they were asked to do, what God was asking them to do. But somewhere along the line, they began to glance at the paintings to the left and to the right of them, and they began to become jealous because their painting didn't look like the person beside them. How many times have we examined our life and looked to the left and to the right, and it doesn't look like we think it should look like, or it doesn't look like this person's life? You look at this marriage and the fruit that comes from Barbie and Hal, you don't know what they've had to walk through to get here to this point. Stop comparing your marriage to their marriage. Stop comparing your walk to someone else's walk unless it's for the reason of God is calling you and that person to join together and disciple and move along. But for the most most part, the comparison trap isn't that. So each student began painting and they were comparing and they were getting frustrated and some some stopped painting and some turned to drugs and some lashed out at others. And that's what we do when we when we compare our lives and our walk and our calling to other people. We lash out at others or we hurt ourselves. And some of, sometimes it's physically and sometimes it's mentally by putting ourselves down. Yes. That self-demotion. I'm not good enough. I don't compare enough. I'm not as eloquent of a speaker. Man, I wish I could do that. Man, I, God, I wish God would call me to this. And the whole time there was a Jesus character and he was trying to get them to see the beauty that was in their painting. And he couldn't get them on track and the enemy was coming and whispering in their ears. And finally, he destroyed the work of the devil. He destroyed the demons by going to the cross. He stripped them of their power. And then he came and began adding color to the black. Adding color. And at the end, all of them took their canvas and put it together and it made the face of Jesus. People crying and weeping. But that's what we need in the kingdom each person carrying their weight, walking their calling, not, not looking to the left and the right, because what happens if we all paint the same picture? Then the big picture is not completed. The big purpose, the bigger plan is not accomplished. There are people that will not listen to anything I have to say about the kingdom of God. Strictly because of my past or because of my, my mannerisms or the way that I speak. Or I don't even have the opportunity to go speak to people. But there are people in your walk and in your life and your sphere of influence. The lady you always see at Publix. The person that's right next to you in the cubicle. Whatever your sphere of influence is. 
that I cannot reach. And if we all have the same painting, then the picture is not completed. And self-demotion or the comparison trap is a form of pride. The final, the final um, one I want to talk about is self-condemnation. Judging yourself, not meeting your own standard. If the blood of Jesus is powerful enough to forgive you of your sin, who do you think you are holding a grudge against yourself? Who do you are? How audacious do you have to be to say, I know God can forgive me, but I just can't. I mean, <sighs> this is what we do. I, Jesus, thank you so much, but I'd rather sit here. <laughs> And when it boils down to it, self-condemnation, judging yourself is a form of pride. Always being so critical of yourself. Stop being so harsh. So now we've not even got to this passage. This is all prior to so that we can see what Jesus is really saying, what John is really saying. So now we go back to chapter 3 in John and we see the story unfold. Jesus is baptizing people in the same area. John's disciples are offended for him. You ever been offended on behalf of somebody else and they're not even offended? <laughs> they're not even upset. And you're like, I'm upset for you. I shouldn't be here baptizing people. <laughs> they're like, why are you tripping? Like, I'm not upset. Why are you upset for you? Because I love you. You should be mad too. <laughs> right? They're upset for him. They're like, isn't this your turf? Right? Is this not your turf, John? He's like, relax. And we see his response is truly spirit-led. Verse 27 through 30. This is what he says. I, I knew it was coming. <laughs> John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I told you, I told you guys, I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, that's me, who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. John's cause had to fade in order for Christ to rise. John's cause had to fade in order for Christ to rise. In order for Christ to become the Lord of our life, we must abandon our own agenda or narrative that we have for our life. Does the goal of your plans involve you being elevated or is it a byproduct? Is the goal of your plans and your idea for your life, does it involve you being elevated or is your elevation a byproduct of surrendering your life to Christ? Verses 27 to 28 also give us an understanding of God's design and an awareness an awareness that if God called us to a thing, he can also end that thing. If God said, Justin, I want you to run the men's ministry. 
then God can also say, I don't want you to do the men's ministry anymore. And who am I to get all upset and bent out of shape about it? The goal and the calling is for me to leave it better than when I found it. Not as a slight to who came before me, because whoever came before may have laid a foundation. And I'm here to build walls. When you build a house, the concrete guys are not who you want doing your trim carpentry. Okay? They're messy. Okay? They work with crude tools. Love concrete guys because they're necessary for the foundation. But when the foundation is laid, those guys leave and go somewhere else and lay another foundation. And then the framers come in. And then the framers come in and they build the walls and they complain about the architect. And then the, tr- and then the drywall guys come in and put drywall up and they complain about the framers that didn't do it right. Before them, right? And then, and then they all say, they, they have a saying, we have a saying in the construction industry. It's the next trade that will fix it, right? <laughs> The framers will be like, drywallers will fix it, right? <laughs> drywallers will be like, oh, the painters will fix it. The painters are like, oh, the trim guys will fix it, right? And then the homeowner, homeowner comes in and goes, this is beautiful. I love it, right? When I deliver furniture, there are some times where all I see are the flaws. All I see are the mistakes I made or, or, or building processes I should have done different. And the customer has no idea unless I tell them. Unless I point out the flaws, they don't know. They don't know. But there's a completely different set of hands that are needed to build the task, to do the project. There there are a lot of hands involved. And if God has called you to frame the house, then stop sticking around trying to put drywall up. You are not equipped for that. You are not equipped for that. And if the framers are the ones doing all the rest of the work, it's not going to look right. And it's not going to be right even if it does look right. Because there are times where we can patchwork stuff together and make it look good. But is it good? If God has called us to a thing, it is also God who can set the parameters and the timetable for it. If he called you in it, he can call you right out of it. We should keep ministry and calling like this with an open hand and not like this. God, I'm, 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 the, I'm the teaching pastor here at Springhouse. I, I, I do the men's ministry. This is what I do, God. But if I'm like this, God, however you want to do it. What do you want to do? Please don't let me do children's ministry next. Please, God. <laughs> I'm doing children's ministry at home. I need a break. I need a break. I'm doing, I'm doing kids' ministry. 24 hours a day, me and my wife will look at each other, and if one eye starts to twitch, I'll be like, go, baby, go. Go, baby, I got it. I got it for an hour. And then she'll get back, and in my eye, I'll twitch, and she'll be like, go, baby, go. I got it for an hour. <laughs> I got it. I got it, baby. Just go. We don't even go nowhere, right? And you know what's so beautiful? I love this. Because we will tell each other, I need a break. And she'll go. Somewhere to go shopping, and all she's doing is buying things for the kids. You know what I'm saying? Like, the things we think we need a break from so many times, right? And sometimes you do. You need a break. You need a chance to just get quiet and clear your head. But God's like... I'm showing you that this is what I'm calling you to and nurture it because even when you're away from it, I've put it on your heart and I've put it in your heart. But when I keep it like this and I let it pass through and I let God be the one that that brings it through instead of holding an iron grip 
Because guess what? I may think he can't take anything out of it, but he can't put nothing else in it. What else can he put into it? And the next, the next thing may be more beautiful. Framing may teach me how to do trim. And trim may teach me how to paint. And eventually, I may be equipped to do it all. Or to fill in where I'm needed. You're a man short. I can help. You need another set of hands? Can you take eight kids for me for an hour so I can go to so I can go, so I can go wander around Ross? <laughs> you laugh as I'm crying. <laughs> some of us are holding on to positions or roles and we're not stepping out of the way. And there are some of us who are not stepping into what God is calling to do. Both instances have some measure of pride involved. Both instances have some measure of pride. There was a Bible study that me and my wife did. I guess I better, I don't even know. So, I'm so off. I don't even know what time it is. Um, I know what time it is, but like, like it's not, we're not at home, okay? I'm struggling. There was a Bible study that me and my wife um, started after I came home from Bethel in 2016. Um, Bethel is a, um, it's like a, it's a, it's a Christ-based rehab facility. It's like a 65 day program. And I went there. Yes. It's not a, it's not a discipleship program for men with life controlling problems. It's a rehab. Call it what it is, Mary. So that's why I like you on the front row. Just keep it real all the way real. Glad I wasn't trying to front for y'all. See how, see how pride would do that. It was not a rehab. It was a discipleship program for men with life controlling problems. Okay. Yeah, there it is. Rehab. You hear, hear hollering at home? Can y'all hear hollering at home? <laughs> After I came home from rehab, Mary Sue. Uh, <laughs> I love you too. Thank you for keeping it all the way real with me. I don't even know where I'm at. Uh, After I came home from rehab... We started a Bible study. Me and my wife realized we both had... Um, individual relationships with the Lord, but we had not really taken time to come together and have a relationship with the Lord as a couple, as a, as a combo. And um, so we was like, we're going to start a Bible study. And we invited other, other couples that, you know, said, hey, I want to work on my marriage too. And it grew. You guys heard me share at the um, Thursday, the midweek gathering. It just, it just exploded, right? And we realized there's a need for couples um, and families that want to work on their marriage, right? That want to grow in, in the Lord. And there was a point where it had, it had exceeded the, the capacity that we had at our house. And part of us, me and Jess, we felt like it was like two or three years, it was like three years in, wasn't it? Like three years or so we did this. It was, it was a, several years. But we started to feel like, man, like maybe it's, maybe it's coming to an end. Maybe this is like too much for us at this point. And we were like, no, we're going to press through. And so we started, we started trying to go different places. We didn't have a midweek at that time at Springhouse. We was right in the middle of a pastoral transition. And so we were, programming was limited. And, um, and so we were like, we need a space. And, and Pastor, Pastor Ronnie and Kevin was like, ah, it doesn't really work here. So we went to another church and were packed in a room that was enough for eight people. And we had like 17 people and we didn't know where our kids were at. It was a disaster. And we did it for a few months. And that didn't work. So then we came to Spring House, and then, and then we tried to get babysitting. We, we kept forcing it, is what I'm saying. 
We knew in our hearts it was supposed to come to an end, but we wouldn't step out of the way because we had this idea. This was our thing. This was our Bible study. This helped our marriage so much. But we knew God was tugging at our hearts to lay it down, but we held on to it like this. We held on to it like this. When we finally agreed with God, yes, it's time to let it go, right? Part of us was scared because we didn't think that anybody else was capable of stepping up to take on the Bible study. If I'm being completely honest, I either failed to train someone to lead the Bible study or nobody stepped into that position. And so I was afraid if I'm out of the way, God, nobody's going to do it. How arrogant to think that I'm the only one that can do something for the kingdom. So I didn't want to step out of the way. But I knew God was calling me to step into men's ministry and was calling Jess to step into women's ministry. And so we shared at our last Bible study, hey, guys, the Bible study's not ending. We're just not going to lead it anymore. And that was the last Bible study. Wow. It dissolved. Couples went their separate ways. Several couples left the church. Several couples withdrew from activity. And I felt like I, felt like I missed it. But I never missed it. I held on to it too long. I did what I was called to do in that season. But when God was calling me to something else, I didn't want to let go. I didn't want to step out of the way. Imagine if Jesus comes on the scene and John the Baptist says, I'm baptizing. This is my turf. <laughs> you can go to the Jordan River. <laughs> This is my river, right? Think about it. But what did John say? He was like, no, 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 no. God called me to this. He can also end it. How, where, how do I get to that place in my heart where I keep my whole life like this? Where I keep my whole life like this? Where I stop putting myself in the driver's seat, but I stop telling myself, you're not even worthy of the driver's seat. Because both are examples of pride. That's it. I knew it. There it is. There's what? The transition. Oh. This this sermon can end right now. Look, <laughs> I, look, we can be done right now. God has grown me in this last how many minutes? Yeah, forcing it to continue when I knew it should. Andrew Murray writes about pride and humility in his book, Humility and Absolute Surrender. Humility, the place of entire dependence on God, is the very nature of things. The first duty and the highest virtue of the creature and the root of every virtue. So naturally, pride is the root of sin and evil. All this is to make known the region of eternity that pride can degrade the highest angels into devils and humility can raise fallen flesh and blood to the throne of angels. Pride is insidious. It's invisible, but it is real. And humility, true humility, surrendering to the Lordship of Christ, of Christ combats pride in a way and on levels we have no idea and we may never understand this side of the Jordan. 
lordship of Jesus is, pre- is preeminent, it's paramount, it's the highest thing. And when I surrender my life and say, God, whatever you want to do, if you want to call me to something, I'll do it. If you want to, if you want to ask me to lay it down, I'll step aside. Because he must increase. I must decrease. So as we worship and as we have our time together, I want you to ask yourself these six questions. Do I exalt myself? Do I promote myself? Do I justify myself? Do I degrade myself? Do I demote myself? And do I condemn myself? Pride always focuses on me. But as we answer these questions, think of it in the context of he must increase and I must decrease. Let's worship.